What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly. And today, we're going to be talking The Batman. That's right, for 80 years, he's been donning comics, movies, television shows, and any kind of merchandise you can think of. And here today, myself and Julian Darius are going to be talking about Batman. We start off with a general discussion about the, the Cape Crusader, and then we're going to get into the stories, two stories in particular, that we really like. Our go-to Batman stories. This is part one of a two-part series. So, I'm not going to waste any time. We're going to don our cape and cowl. And we're going to jump straight in to us talking about the Batman. Okay, so Julian, welcome back to the show. Um, and it's my pleasure to be here. And as always, I think Thank it's going to be a good conversation. So, um, it's eighty years of Batman. Uh, the Dark Knight has been around since uh, nineteen thirty-nine, and in that time, uh, there's been a, a number of iterations um, of uh, Batman, uh, from <clears throat> the dark, gritty, street-level vigilante to the day glow neon uh camp cape crusader of the 50s and 60s through to the sort of revisionist uh dark night of the 80s and beyond um and i sort of asked you a question you know sort of for this and i think it's going to expand and we'll use it as our foundation was who who is who writes your batman it was like which team and which story represents sort of like your batman and i was thinking about the same and um that's really what I want to get into is sort of like, you know, how do we interpret Batman and and then really sort of use that to discuss those interpretations of Batman and, and not that any of them are invalid, but sort of like, you know, how it can do, he can, he can be perceived and be received by different people. Um, but really the question I'm going to, is, is this a, I, I'm really eager to it because, sorry, say yeah, again. Not a, not a, uh, I, uh, easy question for me. Um, I, I sort of took some time to sort of think about it. Um, and um, I think part of the challenge is that, you know, there's a difference between what most represents Batman um, and what is the best work. Um, mm. You know, when I think of all of the works that, you know, are, you know, sort of shortlisted for best Batman ever, uh, you think of sort of, you know, Dark Knight Returns, Killing Joke, um, maybe Long Halloween, um, yeah. um, maybe for some people it's Hush. Most of these cases, they're not really that representative in some way. And, you know, I find Dark Knight Returns, you know, is sort of a orgiastic kind of crazy uh, mix of violence and Batman's riding a horse and and it's visually striking, but it certainly doesn't epitomize Batman. I mean, Killing Joke is kind of, uh, you know, arguably, you could say it's, the, you know, uh, epitomizes Joker in some way, but does it really epitomize Batman? Uh, you know, I'm not so sure. It's certainly a kind of grim Batman, but I don't think of Batman as being epitomized by a kind of, like, puzzle story. Um, same thing with, like, Arkham Asylum. I mean, that's Yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the so the two you've sort of said there that I've sort of got into recently. I did a review and analysis of uh, the Dark Knight Returns earlier in the year, and although I sort of enjoy it as a book, I I very much agree. I don't think it's a represent it's representative of Batman. It's a Batman, but the thing that sort of kept striking me in that 
in that book in particular was how can someone stay that angry for that long and not have like stress related illnesses (laughs) and i think that's the thing that sort of like you say throughout all these representations the thing that sort of i was thinking about this quite a bit the other day the one thread well there's two threads i'll pick up but the, the first thread that really sort of struck me is the problem with the representation of Batman is is Batman's origin, the the idea that obviously he saw, for the spoilers for those that don't know, but you should know if an eighty year old character, he he obviously saw his his parents murdered in front of him by a random thug, uh, in Joe Chill, and then you know that led to him sort of swearing vengeance on on the bodies or the graves of his parents, and then he went on to to, to train and to do all this other stuff. And then when you sort of see that that's been the sort of the, the footnote or the keynote for all this for 80 years, it, it felt difficult to associate that to sort of all the different representations of Batman. Do you know what I mean? Uh, associated in one, what way? Uh, so it's almost like, you know, when you see, when I see the Dark Knight Returns Batman, so when I see Frank Miller's Batman, he is still clearly driven by an, an, an anger. Is it because of his parents? Is it Recently, uh, uh, was it Garth Ennis did... Punisher Max, and in that they took the idea, or he took the idea and ran with it, that the Punisher, instead, Frank Castle, you know, he was grieving for his wife and children when they were killed, but he actually then used that as an excuse. It was almost like a, a, a springboard that uh, allowed him to let his psychosis go and to, to be this vigilante, you know, to become the Punisher. And it sort of made sense. It was almost this idea that actually, yeah, that, that happened, but it was always in there, you know, in Punisher Born, it was always there during the war, and it was, it was still carrying it, so, and with Batman, it's sort of like, you know, you say, okay, well, that happened, and then you've gone on to do some really sort of crazy stuff based on this one thing uh, that was real street level, <laughs> and then, you know, to, to associate that one incident, that one trauma with, like you say, Frank Miller's uh, iteration of Batman, or... Scott Snyder's uh, version of Batman, or then like you know the Chuck Dixon Batman of the nineties and those sort of things. I struggle to keep that link to say that oh yeah that's your origin. Oh of course that's your origin. You you you're born in grief, yet fifteen years later, you know there's still that anger at crime. It, it, that that sort of thread was where I sort of not so much struggled, but you know it, it seems like sometimes versions of Batman lean away from that. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. I, I think it's an excellent point, and I think Bourne is the, the go-to example there as well. You know, I think that's excellently chosen. I know exactly what you're talking about, and so many of us uh, know someone who lost their parents, mm. or, you know, their parents were abusive, or what have you. Maybe they didn't lose their parents in an alley with a shooting, yeah. but I mean, they lost their parents to, to cancer, or disease or, or what have you, none of them went on to, you know, yeah. you know uh, <laughs> become vigilantes. And I, 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 think, I think what bugs me the most is the sort of, like, generalization from, and it, and it really bugs me, it's the generalization from Joe Chill to all crime. Like, the yeah. problem is crime. <laughs> and it was many years ago, but This American Life, which is a... Um, uh, an hour-long show on National Public Radio that I adore mm. did a superhero or superpowers episode, and they quizzed people about you know what superpowers they would like and, and why, and it got pretty deep as far as like what this would mean psychologically that you like flight or invisibility or what have you. But one of the interesting things is not a single person ever says I would go out and fight crime. Yeah. Everybody would use this to, to, like, well, you know, I'd love to fly because then I could get to work faster. I'd love to be invisible because I could shoplift. You know, nobody's interested in fighting crime. And I, I find decision to dedicate your life to fighting crime is a weird one. But I think we're also, like, we're so used to it that we equivocate between being a vigilante and fighting crime because... People can be weak. The world does have vigilantes. I mean, mm. what well, is it? Is it? I don't know if it's near you. Is it Phoenix Jones in America that's got the? Uh... Yeah. 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 Exactly. So. Yeah, I mean, we have, we have people who uh, who do this for real. 
No. Um, they're not stopping heists. They're not like going into the hood and shaking down drug dealers, right? Nobody, nobody has ever done this. This is very strange. So, I mean, I guess that, you know, I mean, of course, like, I mean, I'm at the point where the, and it's true in, in both the stories that we chose, that there are sort of flashbacks to the, their origin. Mm. Yet another, I mean, I think general movie audience goers are at the same point where I don't ever want to see another flashback to the pearls dropping. Yeah, um, yeah. It's the, the, the two the two origin stories that no one ever needs to see again is the the, the the Waynes being murdered and Peter Parker being bitten by a spider. Like nobody needs it. Everyone knows it. And it's yeah, it's uh, it, it's 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 an interesting sort of. I understand it. Like you say, when you again, when you look at it in the the context of the thirties or the late thirties. You know, you're coming out of that sort of the pulp era. You're coming out of that sort of thing. Comics are sort of coming into their own. When you get that origin in the comics, like it makes sense. You you've come out of a period of what would be tantamount to sort of like gangster warfare in parts of the country. You know, you've had your Al Capones and Elliot Ness. You've had your depression. You've had a lot um, in in a period where you know all that's come about. It sort of makes sense through it sort of like as a, as a to live vicariously through this character, you know, to sort of fight back. But say, eighty years later, it's I struggle to, I struggle to connect it to a functioning human being. No, I totally dig what you're saying. I mean, I, I feel the same way. And you know, and I like what you say about that that anchor, especially in Dark Knight. Get some therapy, man. Get over it. You know, and like you say, I mean, maybe it's it's right for a sort of born kind of thing. You weren't that well before this, man. Uh, little young Bruce Wayne lighting insects on fire with a magnifying glass or something. Yeah, no, uh, like you say, it's um, it almost comes down. I mean, you know, I know that things can be born out of trauma and stuff, and I understand that, but. It almost comes down to this whole thing of like you know blaming the the blame culture of stuff like you know well movies are, are, you know are, make people into killers or computer games or you know gangster rap or whatever else is going to get the blame. But there's always an underlying thing there. Right. It, even if at at eleven or ten or twelve, however old you know young Bruce Wayne was supposed to be when he he sees that that event of his parents being murdered. And he's taken in, he's taken home, and then he decides to go on a world trek to, to educate himself, you know, to become the best detective and the best martial artist. I don't know a single teenager right. that doesn't get, that doesn't end up in Thailand to to meet with some monk and then just get completely derailed, and <laughs> and gets ends up in the yeah. bars for eighteen months. Uh, oh, oh, wait a minute! I can drink here. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's quite true. I mean, you you have to imagine sort of young Bruce Wayne as an insanely ambitious uh, guy, and I'm kind of talking myself into it because I, I can identify with that. I it's kind of a childhood dream, right? To mm. I'm going to become the best, right? The best at whatever it is that I throw myself into, and I mean, it's it's, it's very American as well. I mean, we have this problem over here of. Everybody wants to be the best, and they say, I'm not going to go into any field unless I can be the best at it. Yeah. Um, but there is that kind of ambitious thing of sort of young Bruce Wayne was going to be, like, the best physicist around, you know, and he would have thrown himself into his studies completely until he got derailed by this murder and just decided, yeah, you know, I'm going to tour the world and, and hone myself. Yeah, and even... Like you say, you know, they've had several opportunities. I mean, they did Earth One, as well. Jeff Johns did it and stuff. And even that, like, it felt the the, the books are actually quite good. You know, and they've grounded them and they've sort of shown him in a, in a year one kind of way. But it it still feels like you say to hold on to that level of angst and anger. It it, it just becomes. I say, you know, and also to have that, you know, this because this is the, the one of the other threads it leads into really is to come back and you've dedicated your life to this idea, this ideal of, let's like say, to be the best, to be the best detective, to be the best martial artist, to be the a physical specimen that can that can go out on a nightly basis and and uh, fight crime. 
and then you're going to have this alter ego as the playboy sort of to just throw people off so you're going to have the sort of the bruce wayne playboy image and you're going to have the most beautiful women and the most expensive cars and the most expensive you know uh champagne and, and wines and caviar and all sorts of stuff and at no point does he stop after five years of being having the crap kicked out of him saying do you know what <laughs> There's there's better ways of doing this. <laughs> yeah, you know the Playboy half of my of my persona is having a lot more fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He likes beating people up. And I think that's what you've got to get to, isn't it? That, 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 like that's the thing you've got to get into. That actually, what does this does this get to a point where it stops being about him fighting crime and actually about him? working out his own his own issues but actually taking some level of enjoyment from beating people and being the best and proving himself again and again oh i think so um i think there's got to be some some aspect of that um you know and then you have the detective aspect the mm. sort of like that, that has kind of fallen by the wayside recently but the idea of sort of solving puzzles of being mentally engaged but still, it's tied to, you know, I'm going to stop crime. I'm a secret agent for my own agency that I've set up because I'm a billionaire. Yeah, uh, you know, and that, that's the sort of thing. It's, the, the, there's only so many hours in a day, and it seems to be that Bruce Wayne, like, doesn't sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's that problem, too, right? That, you know, he never, he never has downtime. Yeah, I mean, the problem, that, the problem logically that I always return to is if you want to fight crime, you have billions of dollars. Surely there's a better way than building a Batmobile. Yeah. <laughs> there's no way this is sufficient. Well, that sort of comes to the second thread of all this is he is a multi, you know, obviously his wealth has grown with inflation over the years. But he's meant to be like a multi-billionaire. He's got all this technology and it's sort of been it's sort of come up a few times. I mean, Grant Morrison sort of we, you know, we'll probably get into when you talk about the stories you talk about. But Grant Morrison sort of sort of covers it with uh, Batman Incorporated, mm-hmm. and then more recently, Sean Gordon Murphy has has done it as well with White Knight. This idea of sort of Batman reaching the conclusion that actually, yes, I've got myself and the Bat family that have got access to this kit. But you know what? All this Kevlar, all these sort of the Batarangs, all these you know tracking gadgets and all this other stuff. If I was to give this to the police, <laughs> I would be better arming the people that are actually doing this for a job twenty four seven. That would probably be better. And so, yeah, it, it, it's sort of it's an interesting concept of like you know, like you say, it's about him being the best. And there's a, there's a, I always feel like with Batman, there's a selfishness. I don't even think about yeah. that. No, I agree with that. I mean, there's a kind of playboy aspect that's indulgent. Right, mm. it's still there. That's real, right? I mean, mm. he's absolutely. I mean, come on, you you've made an army of batarangs and bat themed weapons. Mm. You've got to be indulgent, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I, when we were talking, when we talked about this, uh, about what we were talking, about, I flipped through some of the old bo- um, the old books. I went through the Grant Morrison run. They open, they open um, uh, the idea, the concept of Batman Incorporated. With Bruce Wayne stepping onto the sort of the steps of one of his buildings and sort of saying, you know, we are opening Batman Incorporated across the world. It's I'm going to fund it and all sort of stuff. And he's backed up by four giant bat drone robots. And the way uh-huh. this, and I'm like, oh, okay, they've, they've tried to play this to be really cool and it looks great. But I thought if Elon Musk stepped out onto the, the steps of one of his buildings and said the same thing, we'd be terrified that this was happening. <laughs> I think we should be. I mean, I, but I think that's part of like the. It's kind of like the the, the thing that I'm fascinated by with um, with Iron Man. Like, you know, if if Tony Stark had Iron Man technology and stood before Congress and said, "F you, mm. I'm not giving this to you," nobody would think he's a hero. No. I mean, it's, I mean, this is just sort of training us. To, to think that the millionaire and billionaire class make good politicians and, you know, they're really smarter than the rest of us and deserve that money or something. This is some kind of weird fantasy going on here. 
Well, this is the one thing I found I found strange over the last year that Batman's po- that Batman's popularity maintains. I mean, literally, this in the last couple of days, they've they've potentially cast the latest Batman for for a twenty twenty one release, and so you know his popularity and his interest remains. But in a time when we have had Occupy Wall Street and you know the sort of rebel against the one percent, and then the continuation of a businessman as a as the president. This 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 realization that actually the wealthy aren't the be all and end all, and actually they're manipulating things behind the scenes to ensure they stay wealthy and all this other stuff. Like I say characters like that Bruce Wayne and Tony Stark. The fact that they remain hero characters, I find interesting because really what it does come down to in many ways is the fact yeah. that he, he puts on a bat suit and goes and beats up poor people yeah yeah absolutely i mean and, and and yeah you know they're depicted as geniuses but but they're depicted as geniuses in very unrealistic ways i mean the epitome of this is iron man 2 where tony stark says oh what am i going to power my heart with uh you know i'll just synthesize a new element <laughs> I, you know I, I mean i i just i still think that's got to be one of the worst moments in all of cinematic history <laughs> You know, yeah, I'll just synthesize a new element. You know, that's got to... That, talk about a MacGuffin that can solve any problem, right? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, they kind of are depicted as sort of worthwhile in a special way. They're geniuses. Bruce Wayne is so determined and uh, a great detective and, and everything else. A little crazy. I mean, at least they kind of acknowledge he's a little crazy. Mm. But, but we're, you know, it is, does have this kind of... And, and Dark Knight Returns kind of gets at it. This sort of like Ayn Randian kind of, yeah, well, I'm special. Uh, the rules don't apply to me. Thing that we do, you do see like in Trump. I mean, you do see that that attitude in a lot of the way we treat the wealthy, right? I mean, like Murdoch is not, I, I you know, I don't think even people who defend Murdoch think he's a good guy or something or, you know, yeah. a, a, a genius. But... Yeah, I mean, I, I I want to see scenarios in which these are bad guys, you know, in which, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, Tony Stark is not really helping anyone. Batman's not really helping anyone. But those would not qualify for either of our lists of essential sort yeah. of defining Batman stories at the same time. Well, that's it. I think because that was one of the questions that sort of sprung to mind. I'm not... Maybe I'm going to spring at you now, but is that thing of like, you know, they talk about diminishing returns, but with with the way sort of society is changing and the views of society is changing, do, you know, do do these stories have almost like a time limit on them, really, for for these characters? Well, I mean, I think one of one of the, I you know, I think Batman is more versatile. Mm. Um, you know, and, and one of the reasons why, you know, I mean, I, I chose the saga of Raz in school. I, I, always, I grew up saying Raz, so I know people say Raish, and, yeah. you know, it's got the, you know, but it's, it's because it, it has a kind of, like, adventure theme to it, right? Mm. I mean, it, it's almost, you know, there's a very sort of James Bond, Indiana Jones kind of vibe to it. And I find that that sort of, thrilling adventure story, you know, is not necessarily timeless, but certainly adaptable to new eras. You know, you, you almost forget that you don't really need Bruce to be all that rich for those stories to work, right? I mean, the wealth is just an excuse to be able to fly around the world. Maybe you need a Batmobile in one scene or, you know, a science lab, but really that is an excuse for him to, to, to have his own sort of MI6 or his own sort of, you know, um, secret agency that he's created for himself. No, I agree. I think that's the sort of thing that they've tried to sort of, you, you can tell they've tried to address it in different ways through the ages. And like I say, more recently, the stories have become... They either become incredibly small in scope, or they become incredibly, incredibly large in scope to sort of circum, circumvent this idea that yeah, he's fighting street level crime. You know, oh, he's not really going to, and, and like you say, fighting a mugger or picking these things up. What he's actually doing is 
he is um yeah now he's fighting doomsday or something else on a much larger scale where you know it, it's sort of like uh the super villains where you need him to have you need, you need batman to take on the scarecrow or Razal Ghul or the joker you know because it's that level of, of of craziness and so that, yeah and i and i think you know i prefer the three level stuff but but i think that you know i mean certainly batman has you know you were talking about how the day glow sort of 60 stuff i mean i mean batman has proven very adaptable mm. and i think you can kind of like shelve all of the millionaire stuff in a way that you can't frankly with tony stark right i mean tony yeah. stark is led into that you can strip wayne enterprises and the wayne fortune from batman entirely it doesn't you know you can take that too far so it doesn't really feel like batman anymore you know frank miller's year one script thank god this thing was never made um he uh doesn't have his inheritance he's hanging out in a garage with alfred the whole time you know he makes the bat suit out of like brass knuckles and stuff and it, and it's really cool but it, it does feel more like sort of like a superhero dirty harry than it does batman but you know you can maybe push that too far but i mean you can imagine we've all read stories of sort of batman you know um maybe you know it's the end of dark knight right where he's just in the caves with the with the mutants mm. um batman can be lost in the desert and you know lead a resistance movement or something and it still feels like batman um so i think that you can kind of de-emphasize the the wealth stuff or emphasize it more depending on what your tastes are yeah so this is like a barometer that you can move i say you can move it up and down to sort of especially for the for the purpose of the story um and i I think i think that element of wealth has been used like you say, it's, it's it's always been there for Batman, but it's been used better, not better, it's been used in different ways for different characters. Cause I always think of like Oliver Queen as, as Green Arrow. You know, there was a time when he, you know, he obviously needed all these trick arrows and the only way to have trick arrows is to become, is to be a multi-billionaire. So he was a, you know, Queen Industries. But then they stripped him of his wealth at one point and then he got it back and he's lost it a few times. And there were other characters as well, I think they've done it for. If they're going to have that sort of level of gadgetry, because they're just, if they don't have ingrained superpowers, they need something that separates them. And so they need access to incredible amounts of money to have the gadgets and that sort of thing. Um, right. And, uh, and, and I think going back to like the earliest Batman stories, that seems to be, which aren't questioning the wealth at all, right? I mm. mean, he's like, he's meeting with Commissioner Gordon as Bruce Wayne. So, like, obviously he's got, he's a scion of Gotham City, right? I mean, he's yeah. got pool. But his life is Bruce Wayne. I mean, there's no way in industries back then. This was just, like, the shadow. This was just an excuse to to give him all of those gadgets. Yeah, and I, I find it interesting. Um, it's, it's funny, sort of that, that, that idea of having to justify the means with which to sort of, you know, either make or purchase this technology and these gadgets. A good example, actually, is another one of my all-time favourite characters is Moon Knight. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and when he was obviously created in the 70s and they sort of tried to make it... Marvel made him his own thing. Uh, and they made him... that His backstory was he was a mercenary. And they thought, OK, well, he's now going to become a vigilante. You know, he's going to do all these other things. He's got his three different uh, personas, as they were when he began... How does he fund all this? Oh, well, actually, because he was a mercenary, he actually had a hoard of wealth sat behind him, and he's actually invested it really well. We won't talk about it beyond that, but that's what happened, and then they sort of move on from there. And again, sort of that end of the... Going through that Bronze Age sort of comics, you can sort of... They got away with that. It was like, yeah, this happened. This is where it came from. Don't worry about it. And it's sort of never really been spoken again. It's sort of come up a few times with Moon Knight, but... And they've tried to deal with it, but I say with Batman, it's that thing of sort of it's either been in the forefront or it's been in the background, and it's sort of depending on that story and, and who wants to deal with it, I suppose. Right. Yeah. Well, the same thing's true of like uh, Rand Industries, right? For Iron Fist, mm. if that's not even in most of the Iron Fist stories, but then it's big components of, of others. Yeah. So, it's you a... know, more Green Arrow, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, same thing. I suppose it's interesting. It's sort of like um, when you think of the characters and when we sort of thought, you know, ask about the stories. It's like, well, what defines the character? Then, what are the key elements that you have to have for that character to be that character? And like I say, although you can turn it up and down, you know, like a, a thermostat kind of thing for the wealth, is Wayne Industries and the power that that brings him is that fundamental to the Batman and the Bruce Wayne character? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that Wayne Industries is. I mean, I think that the tropes of the Batcave and the Batmobile are... I don't know if they're essential to sort of the DNA of that character, but they're getting pretty close. I mean, if you strip Batman of having any of the gadgets, uh, and he's just a guy in a bat suit who's tough, it doesn't really feel Batman anymore. Yeah. You know, you want the Batmobile at some point, right? You want, and, and the Batmobile can't just be Volkswagen you, you put the <laughs> metal plating on, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I don't know. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I'd say it's one of those things that sort of, when, I look, when you look back at the things that define, like, define Batman, even when, you, even when you look at those original serials, you know, from the sort of the fifties, the forties and fifties, um, you say about them having he, he had a regular car, <laughs> and uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, it, it doesn't work. <laughs> it needs to be something yeah. special. I think, I think you're right. The gadgets, the gadgets are a big part of that, uh, and what defines him. But that sort of surrounds. So the, you mentioned it before, but the, so let's get into the stories then that we've sort of we've. We, we talked about as, as the stories for us that define that, that define Batman are our go-to stories really was the question so what which one did you sort of say then what, what's the one that you you thought of well uh, I decided on the saga of, of Ra's al Ghul sort of focusing on the sort of classic O'Neill run mm. there around sort of 1970 1971 but then arguably extending you know like through the the 80s and 90s where you get the sort of three graphic novels and, and up into like Batman and Son with Grant Morrison. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think that people forget that he was a kind of special villain for a lot of this, that from the, the 80s and the 90s and really, it, it was really in the 90s when they like involved him in like Batman Legacy and, and all of this, that he kind of became a more standard villain but he was kind of like the, the special the special villain that you didn't want to feature too often. He was hard to write. It was easy, it was easier and you know you could just do a silly joker story. Joker's made Joker fish or Joker's uh, now the ambassador for Karak, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you could do that. But Roz was, you know, somebody special that was kind of reserved for a, a. It was a big deal when he showed up. I, I know what you mean. Roz is an interesting character, I say, because he's. It's that thing again of moving away from that street level villainy, isn't it? Like, because Roz ambitions are global. I mean, you know, he's looking to. He he's looking on a, on a much bigger scale on a much wider sort of playing field, and I think that's why it's it's quite hard to write him really. But I also think he's an interesting villain in that sense for Batman. That in some cases, like you know, when he's written well, Raz isn't entirely wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I do like that saga, and I like the fact that it's been dipped into. Well, I I think another reason why I found it I find it representative. I mean, I like that there's a kind of arc to it, mm-hmm. even though obviously. Now we're so many years out, we're, what, 48 years out that lots of different, you know, you've got, like, nice another daughter and, like, Talia's work for Lex Luthor. And, I mean, you've seen lots of permutations. But, but you know, I like that there's an arc to it. I like that, you know, the sort of Talia stuff is part of it, the sort of idea of, you know, there's a plan for... Bruce is part of the plan here, you know? It's not just Batman versus a villain who wants to destroy things, but Batman versus a villain who not only has a plan for a world, but has a place for Batman in it. Mm. Um, and another thing is that difference between like the street-level villain and the totally unrealistic kind of killer croc, sometimes Penguin, the, the sort of unrealistic side. 
And I think that that is, that's always a balance in Batman stories. And you, you know, you can really push it toward the, the street level side and strip away any superpowers and, you know, like Mr. Freeze is not going to show up, right? Yeah. He just does not belong in that universe. Or you can, you know, have Batman fighting Darkseid and then it's almost like, well, what's the point of having Batman fight Scarecrow anymore or, or you know, just another gangster? But Ross kind of like bridges that middle ground in, in a really interesting way for me that, that strikes me as, uh, you know, I understand why he was chosen as the adversary for the first Nolan film, that they wanted a villain who could be realistic, but their definition of realism was, and, and they explicitly said this, a kind of James Bond level of realism, mm. where it's it's realistic, but you have gadgets, right? So, you know, they didn't do the Lazarus bit, but the idea that there was a League of Assassins was fine, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I think, like, you know, even the Lazarus bit, like, you know, the sort of, like, mystical element kind of work for me in that kind of James Bond adventuring or sort of way that, yeah, it's a stretch, but, uh, you know, obviously he, he is immortal and has access to this, but that technology isn't, like, it doesn't bug me in the way of, like, how are you, how do you have a freeze gun again? Yeah. <laughs> and how is that technology not altering the world as we know it? Yeah. Um, it's more on that kind of, like, mystical side. So I find that it kind of like bridges the gap between the the sort of just street level stuff, which I don't know embodies Batman because I think we we probably prefer it to the, the wacky uh, world uh, universe spanning Batman, but not necessarily. Uh, so I, I feel like uh, that's another reason why I, I made that choice. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you know, you say James Bond, and I think, you know, there's that comparison to, like, Blofeld and Spectre, really, isn't it? That sort of the idea of it being a uh, a, a well-organised sort of um, enemy organisation. You can have those adventures. It can be that sort of adventure story rather than sort of, like you say, the, the gritty street-level punchy-punchy stuff. Um, but, yeah, cause I, I actually like this. I haven't read the, the entire um, saga, I suppose, because I know that... Um, I've read I've read a lot of the Neil Adams uh, stuff and the Denny O'Neill stuff, and I I really enjoy that. And it's it's the it's the things the birth of the demon in the middle, isn't it? That has sort of uh, jumped in and out of continuity. And I, I, I do like the idea of this character that's um, he he's always there, and he obviously has ambitions. But because he's got that Lazarus pit, that, that ability, he's endlessly patient. So he's like an endless threat. That sort of sits in the background that could really strike at any time, and it's but it's but it's always going to be when it's on his terms. Now I like that as a character. I think he's an interesting uh, an interesting d- d- sort of device. Um, but how about how those characters? Those yeah. sort of, so talking about Denny O'Neill about how he how he writes everything. Batman. How, how do you feel that 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 seventies version of Batman works for you? Oh, I I love it. In, in fact, in going back and rereading for this podcast, I found my the other stories mm-hmm. um, and aren't up to snuff and, and even uh, Ra's al Ghul stories are not as good as others but but man uh, you know the uh, I was looking at uh, DC special series number 15 which is a late chapter that's not Adam um, but is, is O'Neill kind of coming back after I think Len Wine has had you know had mm. a, a, a few Roz appearances and O'Neill comes back and it's a it's not a great story. It it Roz is robbing diamonds in Gotham City for God's sake. I mm. mean it, it's not it's not good. But the Talia stuff is great. But what I found myself uh, amazed by is there's a story before that in the same you know, this was like a Batman Spectacular that, mm. you know, the Indicia list is DC special series fifteen. But it was like, a, you know, if you bought it on the newsstands, it was just Batman Spectacular or something. And the first story is amazing. And it's not even by O'Neill. It, it's a story about 
tie into a mystery writer, and um, there's this hangman figure that, that appears on Batman's headlights in the Batcave, or you keep seeing, like, another, uh, an arm added, an arm added, and a tail, and Batman can't figure out how somebody is putting time-delayed ink on his headlights, and at one point he's with Gordon, and Gordon notices, like, the uh, mark of a noose around Batman's neck <laughs> suddenly appears, and it's so creepy. Right. Yeah, and, that's what. Yeah, that's a lot. Up, that it's great, and, and that's the, and that's the same that I die at midnight prose story that O'Neill did. That's uh, you know was in like the greatest Batman stories ever told. So I grew up reading it. That's in that same special, man. And you know those three stories. The weakest one is the the Ra's al Ghul story. Yeah. So, I mean, I found myself getting lost in a lot of those other seventies stories. You know, some of them are still like the Batgirl and, and Robin stories are are feel a little more sixties, a little more like they have the pre O'Neill uh, influence. But I find that kind of I, I was amazed by how much the sort of seventies stories work for me today. Oh, what I about think, you? No, I agree. It's one of those things I I, I dip I dip back into them because um, I, I really like the seventies era for comics in general. I find that sort of uh, you know. Uh, Sort of, yeah. There's a it's a transitional period, and I really do feel there's some great stuff in there, and Batman in particular. Sort of, the pendulum swings, as you say. There's some uh, there's some there's some stuff that harkens back to sort of like Silver Age silliness, which you know has its place and is is fine, but it's a bit weaker in that seventies. But there's still stories that really stand out. Like especially within, let's say, the Denny O'Neill and the, the sorry the the Neil Adams and and Denny O'Neill stuff where. I and I love I love you know that that art as well, but there's there's a couple here. I've just I've just confronted it, mate. It's the secret of the waiting graves. And it's Batman and Robin, uh, Detective Comics, Batman and Robin three ninety five, and it's this idea of sort of Batman ends up sort of finding out about these two people that this this wife and this husband and wife uh, that have managed to sort of feign off death, and he's trying to get to them, and eventually like this you know spoilers. It ends with them sort of accepting their death and actually returning to their grave, um, and although it's a Batman story, wow. it has like a yeah like an EC Comics kind of sort of feel to it. Um, like I say, quite creepy, and um, it's really good. Um, and then you get into sort of the other one that I really got into was um, the introduction of Man Bat. Um, oh yeah. And and how he's really played like a tragic character, um, and you you know you get to learn about him and and uh, Doctor Langstrom and his wife and how they sort of there it gets into a little bit of their relationship and I was really impressed, you know, with with the sort of some of the it's it's um, a level of sophistication that I think was being introduced at that time in comics. Yeah, and I think the easy comparison is quite out there. Uh, I think that a lot of the I mean. The issue that introduces Ross, you know, I think is is such a masterful issue. I mean, I, in my notes, I I just wrote classic at the top and threw an arrow to it. You know, I mean, and it, it's got a, a little clunkiness here and there, but it but it does feel like a James Bond adventure in which you know they. I mean, you know, first of all, let's let's just stop and say. O'Neill changed Batman. Mm. There's a reason why he was group editor of the Batman titles for so many decades. I have so much admiration for O'Neill, and I think that what O'Neill was doing with Superman, with Justice League, putting him on a satellite, and, you know, uh, when he got rid of Kryptonite and sort of, like, depowered Superman so that he wasn't flinging planets around. Mm. I mean, so much of what... You never get a Watchmen or a Dark Knight without O'Neill laying the groundwork. No. And O'Neill was doing the kind of revisionist takes on superheroes in the 70s and doesn't get nearly enough credit for it. So I think that everything that, and, and certainly with Batman, I mean, you know, O'Neill, you know, O'Neill and Adams, but O'Neill was, was writing more stories than Adams was illustrating. And O'Neill brought back Batman being this creature of the night mm. and Batman being a detective and, and dealing with these kind of uh, spooky, uh, potentially disturbing tales. And uh, 
you know, he doesn't get enough credit, and I think that era doesn't get enough credit because it is the kind of, in retrospect, it sort of becomes this transition era between the 80s and, and Dark Knight and revisionism and the 60s kind of silly Batman. But I challenge anyone to, to read some of these stories and not say these are really well-crafted tales that anyone could just be thrown into and enjoy. Oh, I agree. I really, I think you're right about O'Neill and his, um, you know, him transitioning Batman. I mean, it's it's he also he moves him out of the cave as well and sort of you know moves him into you know the penthouse in sort of Wayne Tower. He makes sort of Batman more, you say, yeah, more relatable in a weird way. But like you say, he ups the sort of detective element and. Uh, it is it's really good stuff and I think you're right without this you wouldn't have um, like you say the killing joke or uh, Dark Knight Returns or anything like that this, this is where it starts really and everyone talks obviously about the 80s but yeah this is it I mean the thing is that you're right it, the thing I say it is a pendulum because you do get the stories like you say the ones you've mentioned that are really good and quite sophisticated and you know have an intricate plan and then there's then they're followed by there's a story here called The Silent Night of the Batman and uh, it actually ends with him with Batman singing with uh, with some Christmas carolers <laughs> yeah and you're like yeah. okay it's why a, not yeah exactly um, so it sort of it swings and roundabouts but you're right this this era is incredible and the one thing I say again because I'm a big fan of, of Neil Adams art um, I, I He's older now, and I think his style recently has become a bit more sketchy. But the the, the right. thing is, is um, the Silver Age Batman is very blocky. He's very big, and he's very sort of cumbersome and that sort of thing. But this this Neil Adams Batman is he's sort of you know he's sleek. He's he's athletic. He's not like a hulking giant, is he? This is just a really right. well um, toned, athletic individual. And it just it just comes across like that's that's what he would be, you know. That's that sort of uh, he's not going to be. I always find that difficult to say when you when I read the the Dark Knight Returns and you've got the Frank Miller sort of you know he's sort of six foot tall and six foot shoulders across. Um, right. You think well you're never going to be you you know it doesn't feel like you'd be that sort of athletic and jumping off buildings. But this one feels like he could be a gymnast. He's closer to what I think of of yeah. not of Nightwing now than than. You know that sort of thing. No, I think I think that's exactly right. And, and as you were talking, I was thinking, oh boy, that's that's exactly right. And he has a gymnast body, you know, where you can imagine him sort of swinging from buildings. And you know, and I, and I think that uh, I think you're right that um, you know I'm reminded of how my Superman sort of has the same physique. My Superman, I, I cannot see. You know, I, I, I can't stand the sort of, like, muscle-bound cavil sort of, you know, as mm. Superman. But, you know, Brandon Routh is kind of perfect. You know, this, this sort of, like, graceful, pure wedding through the air is so much a part of what I like about Superman. And seeing that blocky, muscle-bound guy in the air, you know, I think that's cool, but that's not, that's not Superman for me. And I guess I feel the same way about Batman, that that sort of, like, lies gymnast sort of like I mean he doesn't have broad shoulders so much of it is you know that sort of like vertical look that O'Neill brings yeah and it's so iconic I mean it's sort of you know it's the sort of uh, I don't know whether it's a colouring choice or it, whether it's supposed to represent but like you say the greys and the blues as well sort of uh, and the, the, orange o- the orange the yellow oval with the uh, the bat symbol in to me I mean that's that's the, the, the Batman I grew up with when I was a kid um, right. You know, it, it, it's quite fun. As I got older, and I saw representations of just the black, the black bat symbol on the grey top, it to me it, it took a long time for me to accept that <laughs> as, as like, oh, okay, so that's sort of what it should be, or what people, that's the original, that's how, how it is, because that orange oval, that's right, the yellow right. oval with the bat symbol is, is to me what what I always remember. Yeah, and I think I think that it's you know it's more iconic. It changed less. Mm. I mean that that just a black bat symbol. I mean I adapted when that came back pretty pretty quickly. But that black bat 
symbol changes depending on who's illustrating it to a vast degree. And, uh, you know, in fact, when they went back and recolored Killing Joke, they took out the, the yellow oval. And, you know, it mm. doesn't look as good. No, it doesn't. I think it's, it's, it's a really iconic look that whether it makes sense or not, it, it is irrelevant. It just looks. It's that iconic. Right. It's that iconic nature of it that I, I think is, uh, you know, is so so good. Um, but it's definitely it's it's definitely a sort of an era that you know it should be. I don't, it gets it does get lauded. Now people do talk about it, but I still don't think that people visit it revisit it enough. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you well, said, when people list out those great ones, it's sort of I think there should be more there for the Denny O'Neill and, and Neil Adams stuff. I think so. And, and I also think that, you know, as I get, I mean, as as I get older, I find myself going back more than going to more recent stuff personally. Mm. You know, and I find myself sort of rediscovering older stuff and some of it doesn't hold up and some of it does. You know, in the kind of classic era uh, Roz story, it concludes with a with a three parter, where you know this is the the most amazing thing. Like you've had sort of the the, the first story is just Talia, and then the, the second story is sort of introducing Raz Al Ghul, um, and it ends with sort of Talia, you know, wants you, mm. and I want you to be my successor, and it just abruptly stops there. And then you get you know some more you know a few uh, one two three. Really, uh, just a couple more uh, Rod stories. And then O'Neill sort of launches into, like, okay, time to wrap this up. And you get a three-parter where it begins with, I mean, it's just amazing to think how compressed this is. Like, this would be a crossover today. Like, it begins with, I've killed off Bruce Wayne because I'm about to go to war with my greatest enemy, the only man who I can't defeat. I've never been able to defeat him. I, I don't know if I'm going to win this war. I've got to kill off Bruce Wayne just to even attempt this because having Bruce Wayne active, he knows I'm Bruce Wayne. You know, that you... Okay, for God's sake. What a great way to introduce the guy. But, you know, there's this sense of, like, you know, forget Bane. Yeah. Roz defeats Batman back then. Yeah. Um, this is like you really get the sense of like this has been coming and here is this end game big conflict and this has never been collected as a sort of like there's no one done I, I, I can't believe these I mean you get like you get like the Neil Adams and the you know the Denny O'Neill um, collections I've seen those but you never really get the um, that like, that Raz story should be like, sh- surely that's a that's an addition that's an omnibus waiting to be put together isn't it really Well, I mean, they collected it back in, back in the eighties. I think it was indeed nineteen eighty that they, um, you know, back when DC was doing like it was the same sort of like Baxter format that they did the Neil God six part collection in mm. uh, with Kirby. They did a four issue, you know, two stories per issue uh, reprint called Saga, and. And then they collected that, as, you know, with slightly different stories as uh, Batman: Tales of the Demon. And I had uh. printings of that. Um, and, and it's about it's about two hundred pages, and it's sort of like all of the early raw stuff. And I didn't really realize that it had everything in it at the time. At the time, I thought. DC's collections were always kind of like all over the place, and I didn't realize, oh yeah, this has all of the stories in it. But apparently it does, and uh, I read that as a kid, um, or slightly older, but I, I guess it's been out of print for a long time now. Yeah, no, I'm actually just looking at it here. So you've got Batman Tales of the Demon, and yeah, it's out of print, but you can pick it up for about... Well, it's about twenty pounds. It starts at about twenty pounds as a sort of, um, you know, as a new and new. So you can still find copies of it. I'd have to have a look at that because I think to see that all in one collected edition would be really cool. I, I do, th- yeah. That I, cause it's, it's dipping into it this time. I, I mean, it's 
there are several moments in that story, not not I not that three parter, but say the introduction of Raz as well, that is so seventies, um, and incredibly badass as well. So sort of like you know the duel between uh, Raz and Batman in the desert, and you know Bat- yeah. Batman gets stung by um, uh, the the scorpion, but he's doing yeah, yeah. He, he's doing it all bare chested, but still in the cow, like. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, um, I mean the way in which he always has. The Batman cow on. It's so funny. Yeah, but yeah, it's but it's it's sort of you know it's, it, it maintains a sort of um, uh, Alan Moore sort of achieves later on that you can have certain things that you you know if you take it at surface level they look ridiculous. Um, he did it within the swamp thing run quite a bit. You know, you think, oh, that's that's crazy, but with the prose and the story that's going with it, it sort of works. You go, you go. well, of course that's what happens. That's, of course that's who he is and that's how he would handle it. So I sort of just accept it, but it does look really cool uh, and maintains yeah. that icon- iconic stance. And I like the sort of like swashbuckling adventure stuff. Like, you know, like the, the first, uh, the issue that introduces Roz, they, they go to Calcutta uh, and then, and then they're in the Himalayas a few pages mm. later, and they have this big mountain fight with a sniper, and it's all to test Batman, you know. And there's that kind of like Indiana Jones or James Bond kind of like sense of adventure and sort of globe hopping stuff that that also was was one of the things that made those stories special. That it took Batman out of Gotham City. Yeah, because I think that's the other thing as well. Um, it makes more sense that you know that he's if he's going to have a wider uh, impact on the world and a wider uh, sort of you know remit, then you can't keep putting it in Gotham City because after a while you think housing prices in that city must be atrociously <laughs> low, like you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah it's, it's a terrible place to live. Yeah, no one lives there. No one should live there. It should be that city should be bankrupt. <laughs> there should be no. Um, there should be no industry there. There should be no shot. Like, no one should be there. It makes no sense. But you just again, it's one of those things. I suppose you just accept. Um, yeah, I, I did want to. I did want to highlight. Um, you know, of the later stuff, there were there were the three graphic novels that were produced: eighty-seven, ninety, and ninety-two. I mean, mm. relatively early in in Batman history, right? So you know, Arkham comes out eighty-nine. Two yes. years before that is the first of the, the Roz graphic novels. So, you know, when graphic novels are still relatively new, when Batman gets a graphic novel, it's going to be with Roz, right? Yes. You know, it's like he's the guy who's reserved for the graphic novel. He's the special villain. And and of those three, the, the one that was maligned for so many years is my favorite, the son of the demon that, you know, later retconned that that's that's Damian Wayne Mm. um and man you know I I Mike W. Barr writing it but the the art is beautiful uh you know it's by Jerry Bingham and the main plot you know has like you know Kane or Kane as this villain but you know it occurs to me that going back to James Bond like my favorite well you know one of my two favorite Bond movies is You Only Live Twice. And the reason is because it kind of acknowledges the fantasy element of this. Like, this is a fantasy for everyone in the audience, but within the narrative, the way that context is made into the text is sort of Batman, I mean, is is, um, uh, James Bond sort of, being married for a little while, uh, you know, to a, mm. a gorgeous girl and, and putting, laying down his burdens. And in front of the Batman, you know, Batman uh, joins Rod. Mm. And it, it, it's sort of like the, the ultimate end to that story is sort of like, well, what if Batman said, okay, Rod, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join you. And he's hanging out and playing chess with Rod, and he agrees to honor his marriage to Talia, and he even says, like, I'm happy. You know, he says, I haven't been happy for so long, and I'm happy. And it's really uh, an amazing story. And, um, you know, of course, they are, they're uniting to stop this, this villain who's a, a mutual threat both to Gotham and to, and to Rod. 
And then Talia gets pregnant, and all of a sudden, Batman changes because, you know, if you're Batman, you know, you think like, okay, I've laid down my burdens, I'm happy. But if you're Batman, you're Batman because of what you were saying, of, you know, crime alley yeah. and crime. And here Batman's saying, like, the one thing I can't do is put myself and my uh, wife at risk and have this kid grow up without his parents. I grew up without my parents. Mm. And the moment she's pregnant, he says, I'm done. I'm out. This is what my life is about now. It's interesting. I, I, I have It's like, wow, that actually makes sense. Yeah. And that's it. I think, like you say, it's one of those things. It's a bit like sometimes certain writers just take characters to that inevitable ending, don't they? Where you go, well, they have to say this. This is the core of what they are. This is this is how it has to happen. Um, and like I say, it makes total sense. Um, and it is great that I think that like you know that Batman, that Grant Morrison picked up on that and it reintroduced it, and we get Damian Wayne. That I think is a bit is a bit marmite. I think some people love him, some people hate him, but. I, I kind of yeah. like that it, it brings him into continuity and you know continuity being what it is it's very elastic so those things can have happened at any point in, in the Batman the Batman years um, right and, and, and the Son of the Demon was out of continuity until Grant Morrison came in and uh, you know and, and I think that far as I don't want to be such a, a snob that I, you know, and such an old fogey that I only like the 70s stuff. I only, you know, like, let's go back to Miracle Man. I don't <laughs> want to be that guy. I, You know, uh, Batman and Son, you know, although it, it's aging now, you know, it, it's not super recent. You know, it, it, I think it's, a, it's an amazingly fun ride, and it has that same sense of, adventure and sort of James Bond is spinning around the world sense that uh, those old uh, Raw stories had. And it's kind of like Grant Morrison doing uh, sort of late Grant Morrison, but kind of uh, Grant Morrison doing uh, a standard superhero tale in in a way that is tremendously successful. I think that some people see him as like the weird, obscure author, and other people see him as like yeah, you know, they've only encountered him through maybe Batman Inc. or, or you know, now Green Lantern, mm. you know, and sort of more Final Crisis and kind of more, you know, sort of conventional stuff that, you know, they like or they don't. But, you know, Batman and Son strikes me, you know, I mean, and a lot of the Grant Batman runs strikes me as Batman, uh, Grant really succeeding in that whole... Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. The first part of our discussion about the Batman. We talked about what we thought about the Batman, and then we started to talk about Julian's favourite go-to story, the saga of Ra's al Ghul, or Ra's al Ghul, depending on your preference. In the next episode, we'll do some more discussing about Batman, especially as a detective, and we'll get into my favourite story, my go-to story, so I hope you're going to enjoy that. It's a fantastic episode. And I hope you've enjoyed this discussion. What are your thoughts on the Batman? On Batman and Bruce Wayne? Who writes the best Batman? Who writes the best Bruce Wayne? What's your go-to story? What do you love about Batman? Uh, what do you like? A favourite artist? Who draws your Batman? When you see Batman in your mind's eye, what's the voice? What's the iconic silhouette that you see? So I hope you enjoy the show, and next week there'll be more Batman talk. So get in contact, let us know. Contact me at email, at gmail, that's... Contact me on email, that's... Twen- fucking hell. Contact me on email, that's 20thCenturyGeek, at gmail.com. And you can find us on all the social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, the rest. Instagram, we've got some fantastic pictures up there. Go over there, subscribe, join our account, follow us on those social media platforms and find out what is coming next. Uh, Also, if you wanted to support 20th Century Geek in any way, there are several ways you can do that. The best way, the most simple way is to get on your podcast catcher and give us a five-star review. Subscribe, let your friends know about us, tell us why you like the show. It's fantastic. 
Uh, if you wanted to throw some coppers our way, all donations are greatly appreciated, no matter how big or small. Uh, go find out our Patreon account. And on Patreon, we are now doing some regular podcasts, additional podcasts. I now look at several films a month and ask the question, is it really that bad? We've recently looked at films like 1999's Godzilla and uh, the 1987 Arnold Schwarzenegger film Raw Deal. And ask the question, as I say, are they really that bad? Go find out what I thought. And on now monthly, myself and my wife Alex sit down and we watch something nerdy. I love it, she has no idea. Let's find out what we think about it. And of course, there's other things we can do. We have an Amazon wish list. And over there, there's a whole series of books and things that really help with the research for the shows. And of course, in 20th Century Towers, we love secondhand books. So go and check that out. And uh, in the meantime, stay safe. And uh, we'll be back. Same bat time, same bat channel. I'll see you soon. <laughs>